Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Meg LaFove. Lorian couldn't be here today, but our producers, Jeff and Savannah, are going to be jumping in, asking some questions. And today we are talking with game designer Elizabeth Hargrave. Now, even if you're not a game designer or into board games, please stick around because this really will apply to you as well. Um, it's a wonderful way to take a look at the creative process from a fresh point of view and illuminate your own process and what you're doing as a writer. Elizabeth's very first board game, Wingspan, a game where players race to attract unique birds to their wildlife reserves, won over nine Game of the Year awards when it was published and has become one of the most popular board games of our time. She has since published two additional nature-themed games with her newest game, Undergrove, on Kickstarter right now and set to release in the fall of 24. We brought Elizabeth in to talk about her creative life uh, because we have a sneaking suspicion it's going to really help illuminate the creative process for writers and directors and all creative people. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hello. Thanks for having me. So first, uh, I'm, I'm excited to speak, talk to you about your wonderful, beautiful game. But first, let's do our segment, Adventures in Screenwriting. We're going to let Jeff go first this week. He had a very big week. Jeff, how was your week? Yeah, this will be interesting depending on when the show comes out. But um, it's the last week of November and my debut feature film just dropped on digital platforms like all around the world, which is exciting. So Ooh, if you're listening and you're not tired of me talking about it. You can officially buy my movie, Always Lola. And it's been so interesting because there's something weird about putting your work out into the world where it's no longer yours. You know, it, you feel so immersed in your creative life and it feels so close to you and like this little thing you're cooking in a lab and then eventually you bring on more people and then you have a team, but even still you put it out and you don't have the ability to respond when people react to your work. You know, it's like when you get notes with the producer or someone on your team, you can at least noodle over them and maybe respond. But when a reviewer in Scotland talks about your movie, you're kind of just like, well, that's what this person thought. And I just have to be OK with that. Um, we are mostly getting good reviews, which is really, really exciting. I want to share a quick story as some, I think, balm to our audience who maybe is has faced good reviews or bad reviews. But when we played the Heartland Film Festival last year, which is a film festival in Indiana, we got some critic reviews and there was one critic in particular who really hated the movie. And I remember vividly, which I shouldn't, but he called it um, an overlong, overly earnest soap opera. And it's so funny because that one review totally destabilized me. Um, and now we're having a bunch of reviews come in and they've all primarily been positive. So and tell me some of the positive reviews. Give me a quote from the positive. Um, there was one in particular that like mentioned very specifically something I was aiming to do with the film, which was represent how different people walk through grief. And it said like Graham has a very sharp and incisive understanding of the different ways that people process grief. And he's infused that into his characters, which was like exactly what I was trying to do. So that was so great to be seen in that way. But the reason I share that is because if I had known going into the movie that I was going to get that if the only thing I knew was that I was going to get a terrible review, I might've been too afraid to do it. Or if I had known that I was going to get really great reviews, I might've been more inspired to do it, or it might've affected the way I work. And what I realized is we can't really go into our creative life with too many expectations or other voices because it totally would have, I think it's good that we go into our work without those kinds of expectations or other voices as we approach it. Um, because ultimately all you have is your own team, your own experience and your own tastes and instincts as you approach your work. So I just thought that was interesting that like, I let that one negative review destabilize me so much and I let these positive reviews affect me too. But at a certain point, you just have to do your own best work and you can't really control how people respond to it. So I don't know yeah, if that makes cannot. sense. But... You cannot control. It still, it affects you, but it can't be the reason you do it. You can't. That's that's part pretty, of the process. It's yeah. going to happen. People are some people are going to really not like it. Some people are going to really like it, mm -hmm. and that's fun and painful. But ultimately, it's not why you're doing it. So, Elizabeth, how's your week? So I've been doing things in on many different projects at many different stages. So I've started doing the research phase for the next expansion of Wingspan, which involves a lot of like spreadsheets and data gathering. Um, I have a game called The Fox Experiment that's about to come out in retail 
Um, so I spent Saturday at a local game store and they had some early copies that they had gotten because they packed it on the uh, Kickstarter that happened last year. So I was like signing games and watching people play that. That was exciting. Oh, that's um, fun. And then I have a game that's currently on Kickstarter that we're in the final um, file review. So looking at all the files before they go to the printer and doing like careful, careful proofreading. And um, I've been doing some final play tests with people, making them learn it from the rules and make sure like we catch some of the places people are going to stumble in the rules and get that all smoothed out. Uh, so lots of Is it fun or terrifying this stage <sighs> when you're about to release a game fun or terrifying it's more terrifying like the I feel like the fun part is is working out the how it how it all works you right. know and getting right. it to be a fun game and this part is um painstaking and like grueling in the like detail orientation and then a little bit terrifying because as soon as you like send it to the printer you can't touch it again oh it's like animation <laughs> it's an animation don't touch it anymore yeah exactly that's spectacular um well just real quick my week um i turned in uh something to the producers not the studio but the producers to review and, you know, in the past in this show, I've been all like, oh, I'm nervous before I turn it in. And then I'm like, well, it's too late now. Yeah, that didn't happen at all. I turned it in and immediately fell into uh, uh, what we say on this show, the stages of uh, get, getting notes is fuck me, fuck you, what's next? And I immediately <laughs> fell into fuck me like so hard, like. I just knew it was all wrong. I just, I knew all the notes we were going to get. Part of my brain was like, I'm just going to write down the notes that I would give this right now. And then I had this whole weird little moment of daydream of I'm going to, I'm going to email the producer and say, listen, I know, I know that, that this isn't working and I already know it's soft. And I, I just did this whole thing. And, you know, it just took some time for me to calm down. Like it was almost like a brain fire and it was you know what was funny is because I'm doing this with my writing partner who happens to also be my husband and he was happy as a clam he was just totally fine and he was like it's good when you like it and I'm like oh my god you don't know anything I was just like it was so ridiculous I, I couldn't get out of it it was like a swirl but thank god there's Thanksgiving and turkey and tryptophan and that really helped like calm me down but I think in looking back at it and we haven't gotten the notes yet, of course. Um, uh, multiple producers always gives you a nice little break because they've got to get their act together and talk to each other. So it gives you a minute to like breathe. I don't know if it's the same in games, but, um, you know, I think I'm just haunted by those times I got surprised. You know, when you turn in a creative piece of work and you really feel in your gut, this is great. Like, you know, there's things to work on, of course. There always is. But in your gut, you're like, we did it. We did it. We nailed this. And then you get like giant, giant notes. Like, we don't get this at all. This has to be done over. <laughs> you know, we've yeah. changed our minds completely. Are we not, you know, or change your mind. When they change their mind, I guess that's more them. But there are moments that you really get almost like a slap in the face because you're like, oh, my God, they don't No, They don't get this at all. They don't even right. like it. You know, they don't even right. like it. We, we changed our mind isn't about whether you did it well, right? It's right, about exactly, which I've had. Thing. I've had we changed our mind. But then some part of you is like, <laughs> you didn't change your mind. You just didn't like it and you didn't tell me. Like, of course, I can spin that any many ways. But it's just that shock, right? That shock of, and and, uh, and you start to not trust your gut, right? Yeah. Which is the da most dangerous thing for a creative person is, okay, now I no longer trust my gut because my gut told me this was great. And what I have found that when I give it enough space, of course, those notes, I would say nine out of 10 times are right. Like there, there is something fundamentally off in here, but it's usually not what I thought was so great. Do you know what I mean? Or it just, it's great to a point, but it doesn't, you know, when you're working in Hollywood, the bar is very high. You know what I mean? It's so high in terms of them putting all that money behind it 
and getting cast and crew and other stuff they've made. So it may be great, but it doesn't mean it's good enough. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it still has such a long way to go. And I'm not saying that's happening right now, but I've had that happen in the past. Um, and I think it's just part of the process, you guys, is you just have to like calm down when that happens, that shock and find your way back to your gut, right? And in a way, it's kind of what you're talking about too, Jeff. It's like, you have to find a way after you get reviews to become naive enough again to do it again. Yeah. Like you have to find a way to go be naive back into your delusion (laughs) that this will all be fantastic and super easy so that you will do it again. It's like childbirth. So it's just that shock. And I would love to hear, you know, game designing... You know, I want to find out, we definitely want to talk about Wingspan, um, such big fans of it, but I also want to get into your creative process, right? And really how you approach your creative process, because I think that can be so helpful to anybody who's a creative person to hear how you approach it, um, especially in a different medium. So um, can you tell us a little bit, let's get the context for our audience first in terms of what is Wingspan? What is the game? And how did you get there? What was your creative process getting there? Yes. So Wingspan is a board game designed mostly for adults um, that is part of sort of this new generation of modern board games that are significantly more complex than the games we grew up with, like, you know, and sorry, right? Um, and the the key distinction that I like to make in this modern era is that um, most of your turns should involve an interesting decision as opposed to, you know, or sorry, where you're really dependent on, like, you just do what the card tells you to do. You just do what the dice tell you what to do. Um, has a deck of 180 bird cards and you have a, a mat out in front of you that has space for up to 15 cards and it's divided into three different habitats. And um, each of those habitats is associated with different things you need to do in the game to be able to play birds. So you can get some food, you can get some eggs, you can get some cards. Um, And as you play birds out into those three areas, um, the birds make you better at doing that thing. So birds that you play in the forest eventually will help you get more food. Uh, so you start out taking these super simple turns at the beginning of the game where you might just get one piece of food or draw one card. And by the end of the game, it's like, oh, here I go. I'm going to get three foods and, uh, you know, score some points in different ways and and like do all these different things as I as I go through the different birds in this habitat. Um, so in, in game design, we call that an engine builder. An engine builder. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Boy, we want to talk about that. We use that term a lot in writing, especially in television shows. Um, But I'm also really, I love what you're saying about um, that games now are about the decisions the player's making versus reacting, which is what we talk a lot about on this show. Um, Because young writers, emerging writers tend to be, have very reactive main characters like you said, they're reacting to the dice roll, right? They're reacting to what's being thrown at them. And it's always so much to try to get their brains to understand, no, 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 it's about they have to activate. They have to be the one that's creating their own story. And what a wonderful way to show, to, to metaphor for us to give to our writers. Yeah. Is it a roll of the dice or a card you drew? Or is it a choice that you, the player's having to make in order to make right. the game go forward? I and love can that. can I make so. that... In- interesting yes. choice where there's more than one thing that you want to do but you're allowed to do one right oh so good i love that <laughs> and in movies it can be an impossible choice the both bad things are going to happen either way right and right. better yet how about bad things or good things could happen either direction oh right. i love that right. so much it's so yeah, good. And what helpful elizabeth it's funny i could feel all of our brains ping when you talked about this like decision-oriented gameplay can you talk about like in your own in your world? Why is it better for players to be making their own interesting decisions than reacting? Like from your experience, why is that important to you? Because I wonder if you talking about that will illuminate to our writers why it's important for them in their work. I think part of it 
is just that a lot of the people who are attracted to playing games that like scratches an itch in their brain. It's like solving a puzzle of like what's the smartest thing to do on each turn. But at a at a higher level, I think it's about agency and feeling like you have control and and can can have an influence on the outcome um instead of feeling like you're just doing this activity that the that you you can't control um those two experiences are very different um and you and know we talk about games in terms of this interactive form of entertainment where you're engaging with other people you're engaging with the thought process behind the taking turns uh and you want that to be as an experience possible and less like movie where things are just happening in front of you and more that you're in the driver's seat i love that and so talk about the engine you said your game has to have an engine so how as a game designer do you create an engine what are some of the elements of an engine or what do you have to think about yeah not all games do but but wingspan certainly does and it's um I I think in a lot of them, one of the choices that players are making is, uh, am I going to do something on this turn that's just going to immediately score me a point? Or am I going to do something on this turn that's an investment? Because then every time I come back to take this action again, I'm going to do something that's good for me that in the end will score me more than that one point. Um, And so it's, it's, a lot about investing and then figuring out that turning point in the game also where it's not worth investing anymore because you're not going to be able to come back and use that thing that you bought enough times to make it worth it. And then you really do just need to score as many points as you can per turn at that point instead of investing. So it's like an engine has to, the, the players have to have a goal. They have to have agency to get to that goal, right? They have to be able to make choices that could go good or bad either direction. But the engine is those choices, wanting to, well, of course, in any game, the win, the engine's going to be to win. But you're talking about in kind of how enmeshed and how invested they are in the game, right? Well, and and the engine itself is really the the system that you invest in that then you come back and run it again, and then you get points when you come back to it. What is that term in screenwriting? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's at more in television. It's more in television that okay. they use that engine. I mean, you can for, certainly a movie has an engine too, but it's very pervasive in television shows. Like a show has to have an engine. Savannah, go. I want to hear your question, Savannah. Yeah, well, I, it's related. This question I have for you, just um, I mean, I lo- one of the reasons why I love Wingspan so much. I mean, there's many reasons, but um, is that you know you can kind of, or me personally, I can play it competitively, but I can also kind of sit back into the strategy of it all for my own kind of, um, uh, my own fun in my own world in a way. I don't know. (laughs) It's a little strange, but it almost feels like the, you've created a game that is so complex that it does have multiple engines, right. In a way where, um, uh, the experience of a of a player can kind of take on, you know, different uh, iterations. And I was just curious if like this was part of your creative process as you were developing this game, like or this like adaptive style of a game. Was it was it hard to communicate or was it a hard sell when you were taking it out to um, buyers or was it something that's just kind of like people immediately got? That's a good question, because when I pitched it, it was actually significantly different from the end product. And I Mm. I ended up working with the publisher for another year on it before we actually um, finalized it. I think when I pitched it, the publisher that chose to sign it, Stonemeyer, I think they were captivated by the birds and thought that other people would because would be because they had this sort of visceral reaction to them and they and they weren't even birders but like they had grown up bird watching with their grandma a little bit and like you know having bird guidebooks around but not in any like serious way as adults and i think a lot of people have that 
loose connection to birds, even if they don't have birding as a hobby, that makes it a very pleasant game to engage with. Like these are real creatures that we all find beautiful, whether we know anything about them or not. Um, It just makes a really nice setting to then sit down and like engage in strategic decision-making within this world of birds instead of, you know, some darker subject matter. Um, So I think that's part of it. And I, and I think that's part of that sort of two level experience that you're talking about that some people really just engage at that level of the birds and like, Oh, this is pretty. I'm going to, you know, play some birds out on my mat. And by the end, I'll have built a thing, right. I'll have pretty pictures of birds out in front of me. And then there are other people who are like taking it really seriously and playing in tournaments. And, (laughs) um, and I, I do think that the fact that we we sort of hit in a sweet spot where people can engage on both levels is is partly um, because the publisher that I ended up signing with um, has a following that, that of of people who play games pretty seriously. Like he's got some really meaty, thinky games, um, and so he was always sort of pulling the design in that direction, and I was always kind of pulling it back a little bit and going, okay, but like, I want it to be playable by people who haven't played a lot of games if they're just interested in the birds. So it was back and forth and back and forth, and I think we ended up in this spot where you really, you can play it at either level. I love that so much. That's so great. It just talks about that collaborative process that will happen with a producer or a company yeah. or a boarding company that they really do often know what they're talking about and can help you great get new levels, but your gut also knew too, right? And I love that back and forth. That's so great. So when you went out to pitch this, you know, when I think about games, they do feel very male dominated, you know, and they feel very medieval and swords and guns. And you know. by the way, I, I love medieval, don't get me wrong. Um, how was it to take this to market in terms of what you should be marketing versus what you did market to try to set up? Um, you are right. The games are very male dominated field. Um, out of the top 400 games on um, this crowd sort of rating site called Board Game Geek, um, I want to say like 93% of them are designed by white men. Wow. <laughs> it's it's really, really skewed. Um, so I never felt directly like people were not taking me seriously or, you know, being actively biased. But I think there's a lot of structural stuff going on in the industry that's just more historical than anything else that can make it really hard to break in at all. Um, and and certainly if you're sort of bringing a different viewpoint. Um, and part of that's, you know, you're talking about with, with movies, how much money gets invested in. And it's sort of the same with games at a totally different scale, but still like a publisher really invests a lot in a game before they take it to market and they have to, you know, pay to make this physical object that may or may not sell. So it's a, it's a big physical risk. And um, for a long time, I feel like publishers were sort of stuck in this rut of like, well, we know games about castles will sell, so let's do that. Right. And um, I think you're starting to see people break out of that a little bit. I think Kickstarter has helped companies break out of that quite a bit because um, they can sort of gauge the market for a game um, before they commit to how many copies they're going to print. Uh, uh, right, right. Yeah. So they kind of a workaround. Yeah, yeah. Which in our business, you have to find workarounds all the time. Did you approach your pitch for the game? What did you center? Did you, did you worry about that? Like when you were pitching the game or showing the game, did you worry about what those, how they were going to perceive it? Or did you just really just pitch it from your soul, from what you love? I I did a lot of research on the publishers that I was pitching to and and tried to find people that I thought would be interested in a game about birds. So part of the reason that I ended up uh, pitching to Stonemaier was that they have a game called Viticulture that's about making wine, which 
you know, totally different subject matter, but still within the realm of board games yeah. felt like different enough and sort of cozy in a similar way. Right. And like, I don't know, it just felt like it might click. And sure enough, um, it it did. So even smart, though they also have smart. games about like, you know, very sort of sci-fi themes, um, fit a culture. They had enough. They had that section, which we, you know, it's such great advice too, in terms of for our audience, you know, especially emerging writers think, well, I'll just pitch it to everybody. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you really have to do your research and get granular about who makes this both as producers and studios and who's interested in it. And then who within that studio is interested in it. This is where agents really come in, right? Because they can know, well, generally at Netflix, this is not going to be them, but there's this one executive and I think they are the ones, you know, that's really to me, the genius of agents and having an agent is they can do that kind of granular uh, stuff to help you do what you did with your game. Yeah, now, even so- if you don't break through that, that pitch meeting is the beginning of forming a relationship with those people. And if you go in with something that's just clearly wrong for them, I mean, I feel like you're just starting off on the wrong foot with them that, and then they're not going to want to take the next meeting. Right. But if you're sort of within their general ballpark, even if they don't want it, they're like, Oh yeah, that person's interested in the same stuff we are. Right. And then it sets you up for next time. That's so great. Okay. So now how did you get interested in board games you know, where do you get your idea for games? You have all these other great games that we can also talk about, but where do you get your ideas and why board games? Oof. Uh, why board games? I grew up playing a lot of the mass market stuff that uh, we were talking about before, like um, Scrabble and, and a lot of card games and stuff like that. And I started playing sort of modern hobby board games. We call them sometimes... Um, in maybe like 2005, just because I knew other people who were playing them. And I, I got really hooked. I, I really do feel like they scratch an itch in my brain of just like, I am a big like puzzle solver. And and uh, I really like that, like, oh, make me make interesting decisions, tough decisions in a social way that you're like not on a computer doing it. Um, so that's a real appealing part of it, too, for me, that it's sort of this this interactive form of entertainment. Yeah, where do you get your ideas? Where do I get my ideas? Um, I would say for me to start working on a game, I need an idea about what I want it to be about and then also how that would actually play out in terms of what you're doing in the game. Um, and I get most of those ideas just from like, cool stuff in the world i don't know articulate it no i love it i love it on my phone and um you know i am a birder so that was the big thing for wingspan was really like i'm playing all these games and literally like my group of friends put a moratorium on buying games about castles at one point because there are so freaking many games about castles And, and, um, and so it was like why aren't there games about things that I'm interested in. And that was sort of the inspiration for Wingspan. I was like, okay, I'm interested in birds. Let's do that. Um, And then, yeah, I don't like uh, Undergrove that I mentioned is a game about mushrooms trading resources with trees. And I've been a mushroom forager for many, many years, but also just like that phenomenon, the, the mushrooms and trees that their roots intersect that they actually trade resources underground and like we would have no idea um of what's happening down there like i just find that so fascinating and a lot of people don't know about it and so i'm like oh and like obviously you can have a game about that phenomenon of the trading right and the moving resources around and so that was another one where like okay this is this could be a game it's not just an interesting thing in the world it's like I have the two pieces. I love that so much. And I like that you said you have an idea that something that could be cool, but you also have to know what it's about and how that will be activated in the game. Yeah. Which I think is so great for writers to think about. When people say, you know, what's your story about? We can get very intellectual or we can have a big emotional uh, thing to talk about. But the next 
question is going to be, and how is that activated in act two? Our game is really act two, right? Act mm. one is kind of setting up the game and getting the pieces and figuring out where, what's the, what's the road and what is the game we're going to go play. And then we got to go play it. Right. Which is why everybody hates writing act twos, by the way, because uh, it's much more fun to look at the pretty pieces in act one, honestly. Um, but it's so, so how do you in a game activate what it's about? Can you just give me an example, even from wingspan of, of what it's about and how does it get activated in the game? Yeah, wingspan is um, an interesting one because the 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 actions that you're taking in the game aren't necessarily always like super connected to like this game is about birds um, because but you are you know gathering the food that your birds need and then when you play the bird card you have to put it in a row that corresponds to the habitat of that actual bird species. Um, and you have to feed it the actual food that that bird eats, right? So in, in Wingspan, it really plays out just in terms of the factual information about the birds and that you're like engaging with some pieces of, of actual information. Um, Whereas, I mean, it seems yeah. to me that Wingspan is, though, also about coming out of your love of birds, your yeah. birder, yeah. right? Yeah. And that For love sure. and appreciation. And, you know, the the game is about caretaking, really, right? Like yes. caretaking those birds, right? So yeah. it feels like there's a deeper emotional thing happening in the game yeah. about your love. You know, this game is about caretaking birds and nature. And we could go on and on and, you know, larger into mother nature and the action is you better do it right <laughs> do you know how to do it do right. you know you know that's the game is actually right. activating that in a very practical then, way yeah and then a lot of the birds have actions that um when you use the road that they're in you get to do the thing that's on the bird card and a lot of those are directly inspired by the behaviors of the birds and so i often will point to the brown-headed cowbird which is a bird that um in nature lays its eggs in other birds nests they never build their own nests they're just total parasites in that way and um and so in the game if you have the brown-headed cowbird on your player mat then when someone else lays eggs you get to lay an egg uh so there's a lot of little things like that that are just right. like and and each bird has a little piece of information on the bottom that that says some some fun fact about the bird, and a lot of them are sort of trying to clue you into why the bird does what it does in the game because it's directly related to something actually about the bird. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then Savannah, you had an, a great question. Okay, so I I have this probably misguided preconceived notion, right, that you have to be this like super genius to come up with a great board game. Um, and I'm just curious to hear your take on that and whether, you know, there's more trial and error than, you know, the general public knows, uh, kind of just like in writing too, but just curious to hear your take on that. What I always tell people is that they know exactly as much right now about game design as I did when I made my first draft of Wingspan. Um, I, my first draft was purely out of like, oh, what would it look like to have a board game about something that I'm interested in? So I had played a lot of games. I knew, you know, as much as anyone that has played a lot of games knows about how games work, but I hadn't done a lot of reading. I didn't go to school for it. No one in board games goes to school for designing board games because there's not a lot of money in making board games most people do it as a side gig um and uh so yeah I just started and then as I was working on it and iterating I did start to do a lot of reading and listening to podcasts like this one for but for board games you know and things like that and um and so I do feel like I've I've learned a ton there is a lot that you can learn about board games but you don't necessarily have to know it all before you start designing how do you so you you've got an idea and you want to you know make it into a game are you literally designing like graphic design are you drawing are you writing like what is that process of what does it look like 
my first draft is often handwritten on scrap paper. And I just want to like have stuff that I can move around on the table and I'll play like as if I'm two players against myself um, just to see like if it's working at all and like what are the huge things I haven't thought of yet of like, oh, then when this person does that, then it all falls apart or what, you know, so like, um, I'll usually take it through a few iterations, just playing against myself without any graphic design, because I had kind of have it in my head at the same time that I'm moving stuff around, right? And, um, and then I have a group of friends at this point who are all game designers who are willing to play test really rough stuff with me um and we all do it for each other right so there's a lot of quid pro quo going there and and we all kind of find it fun to do that workshopping level of like this is really rough but where is it going what's like what in this is worth keeping where what what are the things to follow um oh my gosh it's all the same it's all the same as what we do (laughs) yeah because we hand our our you know rough rough drafts to friends right what i love that you said though is um that you play both sides and like you'll in order to see how the game works and how where are the holes but where are the opportunities in terms of that double play and i'm realizing as you say that that i do intuitively do that with my scripts i will um i'm not saying i write a whole script from the point of view of the opposing person but i really will take a run through the story as if you know if the antagonist was the hero and it was Mm. their story um, what what is their view of what's the game are they playing right like to take the point of view of the other game player in your script is a great writing exercise because you really can start to see things you didn't see before and and you really can start to get so clear and I love that as an idea um, in terms of the game it really helps the metaphor it really helps my brain see what actually I'm doing um, and so let's say you're working now with the people who've bought your game. And like you said, they were giving you lots of notes to make it more strategic and um, more gameplay. How do you test that? How do you, as you're going back and forth and designing the game, are there like professional play testing? It, you know, like we have, uh, you know, where people come in and watch a movie and give notes. I mean, how, how, how does that work? Um, mostly it's just folks who are curious to play test. And at this point, because Wingspan has been very popular, I have a list of like 250 people in the DC area who want to come play a game if I'm Oh doing... my gosh, amazing. Um, and it's just, you know, they just volunteer, um, which is awesome. I, it's an incredible amount of labor in that way that goes into any given game and I try not to always go back to the same people over and over right and try and spread it around and a lot of them are also designing something so you can trade like I said um and I'll play their game as well but yeah most of what I do to move a game forward is you know I make a bunch of changes and then I have to go play it with people again and see what's working and and um yeah so I'll play through a game 100 150 200 times before it's done you know it's amazing it's very much like pixar because you know um in regular live action uh you you write your script you write many 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 scripts uh and many versions 15 20 versions but really it's going to get made and it's going to get made right like they might have money for reshoots but you know, it's going to get made now with that script. Whereas in animation, you make the movie many times, just like you play that game. That game is actively being played. What an amazing way to creatively see what's working and what's not, right? Versus like on a script, you're like, well, I think it works. When you're at when you're at Pixar and you're like, wow, on the page that really worked. But in boards, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> or it works on its own, but not between those two scenes. Or it works and it just goes on and on and on the layers of how it has to work. And to see the movie that many times, I think, is part of the reason their films are so good for the same reason you're talking about. You actually get to play the game. So the more you can get your script up on its feet, either by, you know, having people read it out loud or getting lots and lots of feedback, it is to try to get this real uh, present, active, you know, real time experience of it. I think it's great. And Um, I think the more people you can get involved in that process too the better because different people will react to things in different ways and they'll you know gravitate towards one thing or not and you can something will be intuitive to one person and 
not at all to someone else, depending on what their experiences are. Does it help that it's a game for you not to take it personally? No. You know, when we write something, it can feel so much a part of ourselves, like, oh, my God, you're commenting on me. Right. Even though it's about Martians, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Somehow it feels like it's about you. Does it help that it's a game that you're like, well, that just doesn't work in the game. It's not you. It's the game. Or no, is it still personal? Both. I think I I don't think necessarily that it's it's the fact that it's a game, but I do think it's it's a good practice to be able to separate yourself from your work. Um, but I, I don't think it's necessarily easier for me to separate myself from yeah, come on. than it is. Come on. How do you do it? Give us, give us some, give us some clues. How do you separate yourself from the work? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, early on, I've definitely learned of like everyone that I'm playtesting with will understand that this isn't done yet. And that I just need to see it played to know what to do next. So I'm pretty comfortable at that point, at this point, like not having my ego on the line and really just being curious and um, knowing that whatever negative feedback I get is just fuel to make it better. But once it's done and it's out, I have not learned to separate myself from the reviews. (laughs) That's because you're a human being. You're a human being, not an AI. Yes, it's much harder. But I love that. I'm going to use that because, you know, I'm going to be getting notes here any minute. Um, So I love that to stay in curiosity. And I really, when I was working at Pixar, they do help you do that because there's so many people that are trying to stay in curiosity that it's addictive. And it's such a great word um, to be curious about the notes you're going to get. And often the harsher, harder notes are better in terms of curiosity because they really give you much more information than I liked it. That doesn't give you much information, right? But Right, right. That's the thing. it's It's an information gathering process and it's all in service of making the best thing you can how about a board game about getting notes (laughs) and we're going to go through the lens of fuck me fuck you and what's next those are the three rounds yeah right (laughs) those are the three rounds (laughs) see i'm such a writer i'm like those are the worlds we're going to go to i want to go to the fuck me world okay anyway sorry um okay working with a partner savannah you had a great question yeah well i mean you know Another reason why I love this game is just how beautiful it is, you know, both visually and then also tactically, right? Um, the, the eggs feel a certain way, uh, the food, using the dice, the birdhouse, all of that. And I was wondering if you could speak to the process because it seems like you're working with other artists and collaborating and maybe even like learning as you're testing a bit more on how people are experiencing on a visual level too. Um, so what is it like collaborating with these other artists to actually like bring this strategy that you've put together to, to this visual life form? It's actually probably less collaborative than you're imagining because the game is almost done by the time they pay anyone to make art for it because they don't want to pay for art. Mm-hmm that we're not going to use because we decide that something isn't in the game anymore. Mm, um, so like my wingspan prototype cards literally have the same clip art bird on every card in the deck while I'm play testing. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. You have great yeah. taste. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do find that it helps to have that clip art bird and not just blank space. I think it helps people like get themselves in the world a little bit more. But um, yeah, and when I was when I was actually first playtesting Wingspan, I did go to the trouble of like putting each little you know specific bird on the cards for a while. Um, but I have stopped doing anything like that because it feels to me like because everything changes so much it's not worth investing the time in making it pretty until it's oh my gosh writers listen to that listen to what she just said (laughs) you are all noodling around in your first act to make that sentence perfect and that sentence isn't going to be in the freaking draft like in two drafts like you're trying to make it pretty and you're spending so much time and i get it 
but you got to just get the game. What's the game? How does the yeah. game work? So, oh my God, I love this show so the, much because it's structure. such a great metaphor. You got, what's your structure? What is the, how is the game played? What are the counter moves? How are you keeping them active? Oh my gosh, it's so exactly the same. That's so interesting. Yeah. I wanted to jump on that too, because like you talk, you've talked about before setting expectations with your play testing group with each draft, which I think is also incredibly valuable because I've handed over first drafts, especially early in my career and been like, I think it's done. Like, so can you talk about, I think it really will connect to our audience. Like the process that you do before you ask for feedback, how you set the table for your play testers and then how you take the feedback. Yeah, I think that's key. So I try to remember this, I'm not always perfect, but um, to really set the stage before people play the game to get them in the mindset of, is this like, you know, close to a first draft, really crappy, just trying to figure out if there's even something here, or is this, you know, I'm about to pitch it, or like, where is it? Is it signed and we're just refining? Um, and also, I try to set the playtesters expectation for what audience I think I'm aiming at. Because I think their whole experience of playing the game and their the feedback they give will be shaped by knowing that ahead of time versus them going in and maybe having some preconceived notion that like I'm a famous game designer so this is going to be a great game already and it's obviously going to be like aimed at the same people as Wingspan or what like I need to tell them like what I'm going for um because if they play the whole game expecting one thing and it's not that thing, then it, it, it can be a very negative experience that actually has nothing to do with the game itself. The game, and whether that's it works so as a good. Game. Now, is there such a thing in our in our medium, you would always start with, if you were pitching verbally, um, the tone of this. My husband and I were just batting around a new idea and we realized after 10 minutes, he had a completely different movie in his head in tone than I did, like literally 180 degrees difference. His was like a storm and mine was like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Like it was completely different. And it was so important to, so are there tones uh, for games? Like, are you, or is that really audience for you? Like how do you I, set tone? I love that terminology and it's not one that people use a lot in games, but I think it could be really useful to articulate because I do think by the time they're done most games do have a tone some designers will talk about like i'm designing for the experience and i think that's probably the closest to what you're talking about I'm like i want this to be really thinky i want this to be super like social and very you know light and not so thinky but i want people to engage with each other a lot you know those sorts of experience type things um yeah i like that yeah, it's a great word experience like what kind of experience do you want people to have yeah. in your film right are they screaming because somebody's got their head chomped off <laughs> right but they're laughing or are they horrified or are they right like what is the experience you want them having in the in the film or in the game playing the game I, you know because wingspan is such a beautiful experience to play you know it does have such a beautiful tone um that's i think that that's great I just, I just want to quickly observe, like, I love that you mentioned tone and then Elizabeth was like, that's helpful for me to think about. We use the word experience and then it reflected back on us. And we're like, that is what we talk about when we talk about tone. It's just funny because it can sometimes be hard when we talk about tone to articulate to emerging writers, like what that means. But right. I love the idea. What we're both talking about is how do you feel, which yeah. seems to be the bridge between the idea of the experience of gameplay and the experience of taking in a movie. So I just want to like highlight that. What a cool moment to. And we've had direct, we've had multiple directors on that, that that's what they want to talk about is tone, that that's what a director does. Mm -hmm. A director is creating tone, right? They, that they are literally creating tone through all of their choices. Um, and that uh, is some of the very first things that they have to think about how they're going to do it. So, I mean, you as a game designer are all of it together, director, writer, production designer, you know, you, you're doing it all. And so beautifully, so beautifully. Um, well, we always end our episodes with the same three questions. Um, so I would love to ask those of you right now. Um, 
And Savannah, why don't you ask the second one, okay? Because Lorraine's not here today. Yeah, okay. Uh, what brings you the most joy when it comes to designing games? I like the middle of the process where I kind of have the sense of what the game is going to be, but there's still a lot to work out. And, and so like, I feel like I'm getting so much out of every playtest and every iteration because it's just moving forward. So clearly in the right direction. I love oh that. My gosh, and then I the love opposite. watching people watch play my games when they come out. Oh, of course, people playing your games would be so cool. <laughs> Must be so cool. Yeah. Are you, you and I are the complete opposite. I'm when I'm in the middle and I still got so far to go. I'm like, oh my god, it's <laughs> ever gonna work. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So, what pisses you off about designing games? Pisses me off, huh? Um. I hate participating in other people's playtests when it feels like they're not actually listening to feedback. Oh, so good. When they're like doing a playtest because someone told them that they should playtest, but they don't actually want to hear anything that anybody has to say for them. <laughs> that is the worst when you're giving notes and you're like, this yes. person does not care anything that I'm saying. And yeah. I just spent all this time and for our alerts, right. reading it and thinking about it and formulating things, and you're not even listening. Right, right. I literally once at a playtest told someone to take out a notebook and start taking notes because they go, <laughs> yeah. you're not, you're not actually taking any of this in. What's happening here? God, it's so it's bad. important point to bring up though, because I think emerging creatives are like maybe if you're a little more green, what you want is to give your work to someone just so they can pat you on the head and say, good job. And I understand that instinct because I've been there, but that's not why you get notes and that's not why you play a test. So I think it's such a good point to bring up because I think back to myself, maybe even sending Meg work years ago when we first met, I'm cringing. I hope that wasn't me, Meg. <laughs> I don't remember, so it couldn't have been. No, okay. literally, like if you're reading someone's work or playing a game, you're putting a lot of your life energy and your time that you could have yeah. spent on your own things or I don't know, going to get a pizza with your friend and instead you're giving someone your time and they're not even writing stuff down, which is yeah. so insulting. It's just like, I don't, right. I, you know, I can remember it. So it's like, yeah, wait, or no, you can't remember that I said all of that. But yes, <laughs> it's amazing. Exactly. Go ahead, Jeff. Um, the last question we asked um, is, if you could go back and have like a coffee with that Elizabeth, like right before she dove into her first iteration of Wingspan, um, what would you tell her now that you have like a decade more of game design experience? Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. Um, I think it would probably be around what we were talking about in terms of separating yourself from your work in that early stage of like, you don't have to be nervous to show this to people. It's just, it's all going to move forward. I was terrified for a good chunk of the time. But you did it anyways. But I did it And anyway. that's the difference. And everybody thinks that people who manifest are not terrified, but I am, so therefore I shouldn't. It's like, no, no, no. We're all terrified. Like literally the day I turned in these notes, the this thing to the producers, my friend Annie was like, what is going on with you? And I looked at her and I went, I'm terrified. And she was like, oh, you, even you, you're terrified? Of course I'm terrified. <laughs> like, it's just part of the creative process. And you did it anyways. Elizabeth still did it. And I still get terrified about reviews coming out. Yeah, like a couple of weeks ago when, when we were supposed to get the first round of reviews for Undergroup before it went up on the Kickstarter, right? I was snapping at my husband one evening and he was like, what is going on? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really nervous right now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you just have to admit <laughs> it, right? And then and then the person you're snapping at is like, oh, right now it's okay. <laughs> so great. So relatable. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. I loved it. It's such a beautiful metaphor for us writers to see the creative process from a different angle, but it is the same. It's the same. It's beautiful. And what a beautiful, beautiful game you have created. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into The Screenwriting Life. For more support, check out our Facebook group where both emerging writers and pro writers are finding support. And, you know, consider giving us a five-star review on Apple so that other folks can find the show. 
And remember, you are not alone and keep writing.